Hello and welcome to the Swingerillion Summer Edition of the Giddy Carousel of Pop. I'm Simon. And I'm Gavin. And in this episode we'll be looking back over the issues of Smash Hits that we've delved into thus far on the podcast. So we scanned 10 issues altogether so far from 1979 to 1989. We've had a range of guests from pop kids to former editors of The Hits. So think of this as an audio scrapbook, if you will, and we've been busy snipping out some of our favourite bits, liberally applying the Pritt stick or Yoohoo glue pen if you want something a little wetter. Doesn't taste as nice, though. And carefully sticking them onto the pages of our red Sylvine scrapbook. Normally, we'd have playlists and links to scans of the magazines to share, but they already exist for all of our previous episodes, and you'll find them on our website, giddypoppod.home.blog, or in the show notes. However, we would like to tell you about how you can support us. And it's as simple as buying us a coffee. Over the past few months, we've had to change how we record the podcast. And let me tell you, it ain't free. So to help us maintain the high standard of sound and production you deserve, just go to coffee.com slash giddypoppod. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash giddypoppod and chuck us a few quid. There's no long-term commitment, it can be a one-off thing, or you can buy us as many coffees as you like. It's up to you. Right, on with the show. And in the first clip we've got for you, we were joined by writer, radio host and pop geek Julie Hamill. We looked at an issue from October 1985, and in this excerpt, Julie got a little bit more than she bargained for from Simon Le Bon and his Boys from the Barracks. I opened the magazine and uh, apart from having a quick glance at the gorgeous Lloyd Cole uh, behind the, the wire fence there, the bits that were nearly sticking out on page three were Simon the Bonds. Mm, bits. Lads, oh, oh. you know, one of the one of the fellas' boys is nearly out the barracks there. <laughs> I mean, if them shorts had been any shorter, uh, I mean, it's a stunning photograph of Simon there with one leg up, legs very far apart, one knee up and an elbow on the knee, the drum shirt, which, of course, that was his yacht, yeah, He's in his it? yachting gear. That's his yachting shorts. Yachting gear. Yeah. And... Um, but, I mean, how far apart are his legs? He's, it looks like yeah. he's about to go into the maternity ward. But how do they get them into these positions? Like, whose idea is it to say, Simon, sit on this stool here with the white satin sheet over it, lift one leg up really high, part the other knee as far yeah. away from it as possible, yeah. and yeah. Uh, look slightly to the right and pout. And if you could just poke your left bollock back into your shorts... <laughs> That's all right, yeah, we'll take that. There's a reason why it's page three. Yeah, page three stunner. Simon Le Bollocks. Yeah. Simon Le Bonbon. Um, we need to mention as well Arcadia Election Day, which was um, Arcadia were one of Duran Duran's two splinter groups. There was Power Station, which was uh, the Taylors, and then Arcadia were Simon Le Bonbon and Nick Rhodes. There's a fantastic video that's on the playlist. And if you've not seen it, you really need to. It's, I think it might be peak 80s because it's got a massive budget. It's Simon Le Bon and Nick Rose being very po-faced and pretentious and trying to do some proper serious acting and sashaying around the place. There's loads of like meaningless symbols and stares between characters in the video and billowing Saturn and... I don't know what the hell's going on. It's preposterous. But, I mean, it's great. Have, you, have either of you two seen it? I've seen it, yeah. It's brilliant. I saw it at the cinema <laughs> in 1985. It was a supporting feature for Back to the Future. And they showed that first. And we were like, whoa. <laughs> wow. I, mean, I, I love that song anyway. It's got Andy Mackay from Roxy Music playing sax on there. And I think um, Dran Dran were always at their best with the art rock stuff. And this is like art rock with a capital a yeah it's just uh fabulously pretentious and ridiculous and you can just see the the, the cocaine just kind of like drifting, <laughs> the, the powder just drifting up from everybody's all these supermodel looking types who's kind of wandering around it's like yeah it's nick Rhodes hair in it is just absolutely oh. massive oh, I mean, magnificent. He, must have, <laughs> he must have had scaffolding to support his head you know sensational did you spot a little cameo from william burroughs in there no. Oh, yeah. he's the fella, the old fella. Oh, right. There's, there's an old fella. It, it cuts yeah. to him twice, yeah, yeah. quite close together. I'm like, was that William Burroughs? I didn't spot that in 1985 when I was 12. I didn't really know about William Burroughs then. But um, I was watching it um, the, the other day. I'm like, well, hold on a minute. 
So yeah. Yeah, just Googled as the it. video was starting to make sense and up pops <laughs> <laughs> William Burroughs. That video makes um, no sense at all. You can imagine the discussion in the room, like let's storyboard what we want, ele- <laughs> election day. And, you know, well, I mean, I want some entrances of, uh, you know, beautiful supermodels and I would like a lot of focus on my hair. I would like some symbolism. Um, can we have a chess game? Oh, and can we have William Burroughs? Yeah, tick, <laughs> tick, tick. <laughs> See-through dice, uh, we want that and... Yeah, that graffiti artist, when uh, Nick Rose puts his hand up and the graffiti artist does like a cross thing on his gloved hand and then he he sachets off. How they kept a straight face, I'll never know. It's so funny. Ah, it's brilliant. It's like they've been like, how much money have we got? Because um, I don't want this to make any sense. I want it to be (laughs) like really mysterious and for people to watch it and go, what the hell was that? Because it's going to be these guys are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's such a step away from Duran Duran, Arcadia. Like wow, like that's not like Wild Boys at all. No, (laughs) but Simon Le Bon's entrance, that kind of slow motion high stepping thing that he does, like it's sort of like a a, a show pony or something. I don't know what he's doing. Doing dressage, yeah. <laughs> and he, but he, he did it on the top of the pops performance as well. He comes down the steps of the, mm, 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 with his espadrilles on. He's trying to keep his bollocks in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he went commando for that, and uh, yeah, he has to move carefully. Oh, the detail you get on this podcast. <laughs> so, as I was saying, if you've not watched the video yet, please go and watch it. It's very, very good. You won't regret it. When writer and broadcaster David Hepworth joined us on the carousel, he picked out an issue of Verhits from March 1982, on which he just happened to be editor, and took us behind the scenes in quite some detail on what life was like at Smash It's in those early days. It's my proudest professional moment here we're talking about. <laughs> People will say, what do, you, what do you look back on with most fondness? I say when Mark Allen and I did the, we do, I think we did it with, Two, probably three times, I think. Yeah. Um, I said, let's just get a a cartoonist. Well, not a cartoonist, an illustrator, hmm. a specialist illustrator, to do the story of the Human League as though it were a kind of something out of Mad Magazine, <laughs> you know. And so we found this guy. I think we probably found him through Neil, Neil Tennant. I think Neil may have known him. Yeah. Because Neil had worked at ITV Books. And uh, he found this guy called Harry North. And Harry North was, you know, at the time, I'd be like 29, 30. No, slightly older. He was in his 40s, you know, so he didn't know the Human League were or anything. And he was a guy of a very nice living, thank you very much, you know, knocking out strips for probably for Mad Magazine uh, and also occasionally uh, being flown to the States to be parked in a bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel and sit there for three weeks storyboarding Steven Spielberg films. You know, <laughs> they're probably very well paid for it. Yeah. And so when we got him to do this, I think it was probably £800, which was a lot of money. Yeah. But I, I thought, oh, it's a promotion issue. <laughs> It'll be worth it, you know. It'll be worth it to see the look on Phil Oakey's face. <laughs> He sees it you know, because you don't have to ask anybody's permission to do this. You know? <laughs> so we just, you know, we just tell the story of the Human League and, and you know, all the famous stuff that they start off in the kind of rather arty Human League and then they meet, see the two girls in the Crazy Daisy in, the, in Sheffield. Was it the Crazy Daisy or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was the Crazy Daisy, yeah. And then they go on to, to massive chart success but my favourite bit is the panel on the first spread in, in the top right where it's got uh, Phil attempting to play a saxophone <laughs> while not actually putting <laughs> putting the mouthpiece in his mouth while his father says in kind of really terrible Yorkshire, I think you stick your mouth on the end of your blow-off, Phil. And, uh, <laughs> but his father, although balding, also has a hank of hair. <laughs> That one side of his face. And if you look further detail in the back, you'll see that the budgie in the cage also has a hank of hair. And, so, and presumably mother, his mother as well. His mother, oh, yes. she does. There are two, three ducks on the wall, and they also have a hank of hair. And the dog. <laughs> I'm so 
sorry. I never noticed I'm that. I'm sorry. That's that's a good day's work, isn't oh, it? Oh, that's know? amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm so proud of that. We did it with Shaking Stevens as well. <laughs> and in the case of the Human League, it was the answer to the problem. How do you deal with the Human League? Because it was so difficult. God, yeah. they were difficult. <laughs> and even though they had the nicest PR in the world, Keith Borton was such a nice guy and really good PR. But God, Phil Oakey was difficult. <laughs> and uh, Shaking Stevens was also difficult in a, in a different way. And so it was our answer to the problem. How do you cover them? without having to deal with them, you know, get Harry North, let's do a strip. It'll be hilarious. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still um, I'm still very thrilled about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a brilliant kind of caricature style. I think he, <laughs> was it looking that he used to do stuff for, I think? In, oh, in, that's probably, yeah. okay. You'd, well, you, that would make sense. Right. Because, you know, ITV Books published looking, so that possibly is, uh, is how Neil came to know the name. Because I didn't, you know, Nowadays, if you wanted to find an illustrator, any clown can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Go on Google. <laughs> or you ask on social media. In those days, where do you begin? Where do you even start? Mm. You know, so you had to use the few contacts that you had. And if Neil suggested, oh, there's a guy called Harry North, oh, can you get his number? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll try. <laughs> you know what I mean? A week later, somebody would come through with his number. And you get in touch with him. And, uh, and then you'd have to wait another three weeks before he came to see you or something. Everything was very slow. Yeah. Uh, but, no, it was good work. Yeah. Good work. I like how it makes um, Ian Marsh and Martin Ware in the early lineup of the of the league look like bin men. <laughs> and there's a little quote there uh, saying, well, I liked the weird electronic sounds, but it looked like a tramp's convention at a rubbish tip on stage. And it, it, it kind of looks like Steptoe's junkyard with uh, yeah, yeah, just yeah, surrounded yeah. by speakers and uh, cables and, and all sorts of things. But yeah, Ian Marsh and Martin Ware looking uh, every inch the bin man. Yeah, it's a nice payoff at the end as well when Phil Oakey says, uh, and that's not all, with platinum selling records now, I can afford to get both sides of my air cup. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, very good. You see, we scripted all this. I think Mark and I sat down there and wrote all these things. <laughs> and they said to Harry, can you do these things? And he did. He did a great job. Great job. We now travel to May 1989, where Rachel Gallatly, a pop kid, shared with us some big news from Bross. And we get to oh, our, our front cover story. Yeah, good the grief. Bross interview. You can take it from us that Craig will never be in Bross again. I mean, you know, having read this very recently, you can see that all that nonsense that we had to put up with in the When the Screaming Stops documentary quite recently, I mean, it was all there anyway, you know. <laughs> I was going to say exactly the same thing. Really? Yeah, yeah, Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, absolutely. I was only going, this could be from that very recent yeah. documentary. You know, they yeah. were had no grip on reality <laughs> in any way. Clearly yeah, never I have mean, done. I stopped writing quotes down <laughs> yeah. and tried to narrow it down to my top three because it was like, this is ridiculous. It's, it's just so. that there's, there's, no, there's no maturity there, is there? But you'd think it's, now it, there might be. No, and there isn't. But this they haven't grown no. or they haven't no. changed in any way. No, completely arrested development. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that they stopped at kind of like 12 years old yeah. or something like that. It is um, absolutely priceless, um, this piece. And quite long as well for, for mm. Smash It. Yeah. You get, you know, a good helping of photos and quite a lot of text as well. Mm. Um, would you like to take us through your... Uh, um, well, first of all, can I just say, let's give uh, the listeners a little bit of context here. It is midday, one o'clock in the afternoon when the reporter arrives and Matt it's at Matt's place, which is somewhere in, in London. He doesn't really want to live there anymore. His swank it's, pad. His swank pad, <laughs> which apparently is very tasteful. It's very light blue um, and very minimally uh, furnished apart from a sofa, I'm and told. And his high-tech kitchen. Yes. <laughs> so that's quite nice. Uh, but he's only just got up and then it's another two hours before Luke appears. So we're talking, because he sits down to watch Paper Mill at one, doesn't he? So it's maybe even getting to three o'clock 
when <laughs> when Luke arrives and the journalist, I can't remember who, who uh, wrote this. Alex Caddis. It is, of course, yeah. Alex, of course it is. Um, he makes the comment that um, although Luke complains about being very hungover, he makes the comment that he has obviously not had any sleep. So we're thinking, are we talking class A's here? I think we might be rather than just your normal hangover. And it kind of makes reference to his skin being still so beautiful and pure. So to be fair, here they probably are hungover and drug addled. <laughs> Whereas when the screaming stops, I'm assuming they're not. No, that's them in their they're natural state. They're just still idiots. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Whatever chemical yeah. imbalance might be going so on, they're just that's idiots. That's the only so. thing I would say in favour of this interview, that neither of them really know what they're talking about because I think they've been on the razz. But interestingly, not together. No, but yeah. Um, so this interest, obviously, because Craig's just left the band and got kicked out, whichever way you want to read it. Um, and they've also been briefed as to what to say and what not to say. And it's so funny because at times... They forget. They just, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes what they really think comes out and then they yeah. kind of stop themselves. So it's full of contradictions. Yeah, well, the official statement is um, printed here in full yeah uh, in, in the article mm. uh, which mentions lawyers and, and things like which that which is very interesting because then at the end of the interview uh, smash hits I'm sure I'm, I'm stealing somebody else's uh, point here but smash hits <laughs> says that they'd agreed to do this interview for the benefit of smash hits readers and any part of this interview that appears in any other publication is a serious breach of copyright and will be dealt with by our fierce lawyers not just our lawyers. Yeah. Look at that pre-modification. <laughs> Fierce yeah. lawyers. Love it. I mean, they're really putting the slap down here, aren't yeah, they, Yeah, they're saying back off, news yeah, of the world of the sun. This is ours. Hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, my one of my favourite lines is, uh, Craig really was going to be something like a bank clerk. <laughs> I mean, that's all he wanted. Yeah. So he just needs to be grateful for the ride, doesn't he? <laughs> and... Um, Luke, with I can't work out whether it's just him being an idiot or whether this is kind of um, kind of mock. It's kind of putting himself down in it. I don't know if to believe him. He says, um, he, meaning Craig, certainly had more fans than I ever did. Shut up. Nobody's favourite was Craig. No. What's he talking about? Is this kind of mock modesty? <laughs> I think it is. And then... Um, when pushed by the interviewer, whether or not they did really lock him in that shed or in that sauna, Matt says, when you're 15-year-olds, you do lock people in sheds. <laughs> you, de you definitely do. Yeah, I mean, that's and, what, yeah that's then he what... says, yes, we did lock him in the sauna. <laughs> so, yeah. Shed and did. sauna. Or was the, was the sauna in the shed? Couldn't really work out if that was two different episodes. To, to someone out of Bross, a shed and a sauna maybe the same thing. We don't we don't know what their understanding is. But no, go on. I, I, well, it was littered with... My, my favourite bit was where they're talking about Craig um, leaving the band and it says, Luke, I mean, God, he was our friend. And then it says, Luke suddenly goes decidedly sniffy. This really made me laugh. It says, I mean, I can't believe it. I still haven't faced up to the fact that he isn't going to be in the band anymore. He's not our friend. He's not going to come round anymore and have a lager and a chat. He's not going to have a wrestle on the floor <laughs> and have a look around like he used to. It's really weird. <laughs> what adults have a, you know, you go around your mate's house and you have a lager and a chat and a wrestle on the floor. I mean, am I doing something wrong as a, as a man? Should I be doing more of this? I've never done this yet. But it's, what I remind, I don't know if either of you have ever seen Staff Let's Flats. Mm. But when I was reading um, this, I just thought, They've, like, invented the character of Staff, like, 30 years before, because the way he talks and the way he thinks about the world in this really, like, strange, off-kilter, childish way is... It's the way that the Bross boys are, like, in 1989, you know. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's hilarious. It's, if, you, if you didn't know it was serious, you'd think it's an absolute piss-take. Yeah. And that's why, you know, like, with the, um, the documentary that was on, a lot of people saying, oh, maybe it's just a bit of a piss-take. No, Clearly, it wasn't it because wasn't. they, yeah. like, like you said before, yeah. they were doing this thirty years ago. Yeah. And yeah. They've just they've got zero self awareness, zero common sense. Um, I mean, God love them, you know, but uh, they're just naturally yeah. hilarious. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming uh, everyone listening to this that you've seen that documentary. Um, if you've not seen it, <laughs> do do track it down in any way that you can, even if you think I don't give a stuff about Bross, because I don't give a stuff about Bross, but I, I, I switched over just as it was starting uh, when it was on telly for the first time. And within moments, I was absolutely hooked. Oh. I was howling. 
but by the end of it, I was feeling for them as well <laughs> um, because it, it was, you know, clearly quite a um, a traumatic experience for them. Mm. That I don't think they've ever dealt with it. Mm. They've clearly been through years of therapy and you know, all sorts of things, and you know that their sister died just as it was all kicking off and mm. and all that sort of thing. Um, Cod philosophy, but, that's what's helped oh, me through. Yeah. Cod yeah. I mean, that's definitely yeah. helped Luke. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was coming out 100%. with it. Like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was, he was dropping those pearls. Yeah, I like, wish I could uh, remember some of the lines, actually, from it. Yeah. Yeah, like super, like Stevie Wonder. Um, <laughs> he ain't superstitious or, or something like that. I've just got one, sorry, I've just got one more really funny quote that I remember. And right near the end, they're talking about the new musical direction. Oh, yeah. And yes. it says, tell me about your new LP. And Luke says, we call it um, PFR. No, um, RPF. Oh, <laughs> What is it, Matty boy? And Matt says, FRP, funk rock pop. <laughs> That's what we class our music as, our new music. The old stuff was pop, so that would have just been P, wouldn't it, I guess? There'll be 11 tracks on it. There's one about my granddad's wife. Not my grandma, my granddad's wife, who it died of cancer. Be. It might be, might be step-grandma. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> In modern times, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, she died of cancer. It's very emotional. He cried when he heard it. And there's sister. And that's obviously about oh, the sister they talk about in the uh, documentary, don't they? Yeah. But I just love the idea that they've got a new musical direction. They're calling it FRP, <laughs> Funk Rock Pop. <laughs> if Luke can remember the initials, yeah, which he clearly can't. Yeah. what is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, when they're talking about sister in this one, Matt says uh, it was just piano, vocals and classical guitar. And it was lovely. And I really didn't want any drums. But Luke said, no, Matt. Let me have a go at this. <laughs> and he came up with a 17-part drum programme <laughs> that was just out of this world, absolutely brilliant. Uh-huh. That's what's good about it. And Luke chips in, we trust each other implicitly. Not anymore. The earliest edition of Smash Hits we've covered so far was issue four from February 1979 when the mag was still a monthly. And it was chosen by academic, author and broadcaster Simon Philo. And we get to another feature, this one about Elton John and his relationship with Rod Stewart. Who is Sharon and why is Phyllis saying such wicked things about him? But I think before we discuss the article itself, I think it's possibly the photos of Elton John guessing is it is that his home i guess uh, so yeah i'm yeah. not sure i'm not sure whether it is or not but um, who else would have a house like that <laughs> I mean, yeah the I big think, pop-up well the fact that it looks like it did makes me believe that it can't be someone's house anyway, <laughs> <laughs> they're obviously smashes are obviously pleased with it because it appears at the end doesn't it yes yes they have a full full color shot full of full color on the back so of elton so i think what we're seeing here is the effects of elton's buying or purchasing addiction, as I think he later acknowledged. So there's lots of artworks dotted around, lamps, a designer, coffee table. There's all sorts of things going on. A little samurai model that Elton's uh, posing next to. It's worth remembering that Elton's all over the place at this moment. He's seriously struggling, isn't he, with uh, exhaustion and other kind of yes, it makes issues. Uh, makes reference to cancelling the tour due to yeah, exhaustion. Yeah, yeah, and if yeah. you've seen if you've seen the Rocket Man film, yeah. we probably know what exhaustion. Yes. Yeah. I think if, if it had been several years later in Smash Hits, it would have been exhaustion. Exhaustion. Yeah, they're not no. quite as confident at this point about... Uh, yeah. He's discussing his uh, relationship with Rod Stewart in this one. Do you have any uh, choice quotes that you want to, to pull out from this one? It's not, a, it's not a particularly long article, and a good half of it is taken up with his relationship with Rod Stewart, and it just seems like... Yeah. An interesting, yeah. uh, particularly as Rod isn't there. I remember in later years, Morrissey did a great one with Pete Burns where they were on the on the yeah, cover so, together. Yeah, so but they were there together yeah. and talking yeah. about their relationship, and it was really funny. But this is just some stuff that Elton's saying about Rod. Uh, they say stuff like, um, so it says, according to Elton, Rod's very funny, he makes me laugh, and I don't think he often realises how funny he is. He's the old tart, and I'm the vicar's wife. That's how I think of us, in a way. Interesting. I call him Tesco, and he calls me the Rover 2000. You know, once that is clean once a day, and then put back in the garage. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one. Yeah. <laughs> it sticks. It does, well, stick, it does, it does yeah. stick with them, because they, they continue to relate to each other exactly that way, apparently, in terms of those names, Sharon and Phyllis. 
I was going to say, I popped into um supermarket this morning. I was doing a bit of shopping and I saw the Elton John autobiography. And I just thought, I wonder if there's much about Rod Stewart. And there's there's a few bits. And, yeah. and there's a bit that I remember where it's talking about his marriage. When did he marry Renate? Was it about 83? Yeah, mid-80s. Like yeah, yeah. mid-80s. Yeah. And he says in there that um, Rod couldn't attend the wedding, but he'd sent a telegram to him. <laughs> he said it said uh, something like, I know you're still standing, but the rest of us are on the fucking floor. <laughs> I thought that was a great line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe reference there to people's surprise at Elton yes, uh, yeah. settling down. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite interesting. I, I, yeah. yeah, Elton didn't much care for Brit, Brit Eklund, no, no. but but he does like Alana, <laughs> Rod, Rod's latest wife. That proposed film they were talking about, which presumably never came. Oh uh, yes, about. I was wondering about that. They talk about yeah. that quite a bit. It sounds quite like it could have been quite funny. It could have been, it? yeah. It, it could have been. Uh, Gav, do you want to talk us through the Rod and Elton film that mm. they were proposing? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. So it says uh, right now Elton and Rod are planning a film together that will explore life at the superstar level of the rock business. The idea is to start filming next summer when Rod Stewart has completed his current tour that takes him halfway around the world. Says Elton, the basic idea is of two superstars who are quite friendly but do everything they can to outdo each other. You could draw parallels with Stewart and myself in that respect, but that's not really what we're like. It'll be a film about the rock business that leans towards the funny side of it and some of the incredible things that go on. For example, if one wife gets a bigger bunch of flowers at the hotel than the other, there's hell to pay and how they will travel in separate cars and how they might all pretend to like each other but really hate each other. If Rod and myself don't know what goes on around groups and managers and so forth, I can't imagine who does. Yeah, whatever happened to it, I don't know. I mean, it could have been Mm. good. It may have been terrible. Quite possibly. <laughs> in a way, it does sound very smash hits, and I think yeah. you know, whilst the, the 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 kind of editorial voice doesn't that we're familiar with doesn't necessarily come through quite yet. In a way, the kind of Elton is providing and supplying some of that kind of smash hits perspective, that smash hits view yeah. on the world. Yeah, um, it does sound like it could have been quite self-deprecating, which yeah. might have made it quite funny. I think know? that's kind of what I mean. Just self-deprecating, funny, you know, the ability to laugh at yourself yeah. and not take yourself too seriously. Our next guest was Catherine Sked, pop kid and at the time a sixth former in November 1987. We looked together at an interview with the Communards and Cy had a bit of trouble pronouncing Torp, or is it Tope? The jury is still out. And then we get to the personal file of the Communards, Yay. Richard Coles and Jimmy Somerville, and probably my favourite piece in the whole mag, um, Richard Coles especially. But there's a weird thing going on because the typical smash hits questions, you get, you know, first crush, first record ever bought, first concert. And it turns out that both Richard and Jimmy Somerville have the same first crush. Captain Richard says, uh, Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, he was just so handsome and masterful and so calm and in control. And uh, Jimmy Somerville says... Well, I don't know whether it was Captain Kirk or Lieutenant Uhura. <laughs> I think probably Captain Kirk awakened tingles up my back. Mm. But yeah, Richard Coles absolutely stands out on this one. He talks about his first concert, which was actually um, Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 7 at the Royal Albert Hall uh, when he was eight years old. But then a few years later, he says his first pop concert was the Sex Pistols in the county cricket ground in Northampton before they were famous. I didn't go for the music. I went because I really fancied this boy who went there. I don't remember the Sex Pistols, but I do remember the boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then they ask him, has Bono ever told you any good jokes? Who's Bono? Oh, him. Does he tell jokes? It doesn't strike me as a very humorous person, but I don't know him at all, so... (laughs) (laughs) What's the worst thing you've done after a couple of drinks? And he says, I think being sick over my great-aunt Phyllis at my cousin's wedding. I was about 12, and unfortunately they let me have some champagne. Poor Aunt Phyllis. I lurched over to her and she was trying to keep me away, but I was sick over her taupe. Is it taupe or taupe? I can never remember. Taupe, I think, isn't it? I can't yeah, I'd say taupe. I'd say taupe, yeah. Um, but she was trying to keep me away, but I was sick all over her taupe, 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 taupe. 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 <laughs> Is that what we decided? Taupe. I was, I, was, I was going through this earlier. So how do you pronounce this word? Let me try that again. But I was... <laughs> it's lucky it's not morph. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can, I can handle that one, yeah. I lurched over to her and she was trying to keep me away, but I was sick all over her. Tope. Tope! 
Spotify, is it? <laughs> Torp! It's Bernie Torpin. Bernie Torpin. All right, Bernie Torpin. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm think sorry, you could pronounce it both ways. Yeah. yeah. Say taupe if you want. E- either or. Taupe. Yes. Taupe, taupe, taupe. <laughs> it's just one of those words that just doesn't fix in, in my uh, in my head. Where is it now? Oh, yeah. Barry. <laughs> I was sick all over her time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need a drink now. So. Shall we change its colour? <laughs> yeah. A blue. Beige. Beige. I don't know yes. what, color, what color is it? <laughs> I don't know actually. I'm Let's like... not go there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ah. Compose myself. Top. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Aunt Phyllis. I lurched over to her and she was trying to keep me away, but I was sick over her top coat dress. It was rather soiled, unfortunately. She never ever spoke to me again after that. I can't really say I blame her. <laughs> Poor great Aunt Phyllis. Uh, any responses from uh, Jimmy Somerville? His his ones aren't as entertaining, I don't think. I think Richard Coles is uh, clearly a, a great storyteller. They ask him what's the worst thing he's done after a couple of drinks, and he says, ooh, <laughs> I've honestly done so many dreadful things, I can't even try to recollect. He says, I always get in trouble after a few drinks. He says, if Richard sees me in a bar and he thinks I've had one too many, he won't even talk to me. <laughs> so that tells a few stories there, doesn't it? <laughs> he says, but now I drink Guinness, and for the past few years I've been really good. I usually get overexcited when I drink, and I always get in trouble. And then Richard interjects. He says, Jimmy, you always cause trouble. Uh, so then Jimmy says, so I can't even think of the worst thing. It would be censored anyway. So, yeah, I think there's a few stories lurking there that uh, that don't come out. Sounds like it. Uh, Jimmy's first concert, he says the B-52s, but he says, well, I saw the Bay City Rollers before that in a carpet showroom, which they were opening, but they weren't really singing, which was sad. His uh, response to the, has Bono ever told you any good jokes? I think Bono's a bit of a joke, but then Larry Mullen, that's another story. I've got a poster of him up in my kitchen. I'm not a fan of you two, but I just think he's so wonderful. (laughs) I think this pair would be great on a night out. You know, they're such polar opposites. And you've got Jimmy that that doesn't read. He says he never takes books, he takes his Walkman. Whereas Richard, you know, getting ploughed into some great tome. They just are so much themselves and exactly as you imagine them to be. Barry McElhenney was editor of Smash It's when it achieved its highest ever circulation figures, but, as we discovered, it wasn't all plain sailing. Especially when he put the wrong pop star on the cover. That'll be Wayne Hussey of The Mission, in March 1987. This issue also happened to feature someone who wasn't even a singer or musician, never mind a pop star. Well, let's um, take a look at the Margaret Thatcher interview, shall we? Wow. Come with us, why don't you, inside the hallowed portals of Number 10 Downing Street, where the so-called Iron Lady awaits your pleasure. And straight away, what I liked about the just the design of this one yeah. is that the main headline, the Margaret Thatcher interview, is done in that Jamie Reed Sex Pistols, Poison Pen letter style That's true. Of, of cut-out letters from newspapers, which I thought quite a subversive way to put this feature in there. It's incredible. He, he, I mean, it's Thomas straight in with it, as you say, and he goes, I present the Prime Minister with a token of your affection, a black type tea towel, <laughs> which he actually did, which he appears to mistake for a fairy liquid advertisement. Have you seen that in a net human fairy liquid advertisement in television, she asks? Lovely, lovely. And it's just... It's, like, it's a very surreal piece. Um, and Tom knows Tom knows exactly what he's doing here. Yeah, well, he, he almost calls her out straight away in what he says in the intro. Yeah, and then we embark on the interview itself, which she displays an eagerness to please, combined with a skill in evasion, riding roughshod over interjections that mark her out as the professional she is. Margaret Thatcher is a serious politician, and she wants your vote. And that evasion absolutely runs through it. And the the Pollard quotes, which we always put different time on. I'm so sad that Elton John is having this difficulty, gosh, with his throat. So it sounds quite like as opposed to that other difficulty that we don't want to talk about. <laughs> and also the uh, photos of stars from bygone eras, Arthur Askey. <laughs> Who's that there? The, the tornadoes. Lovely. Adam Faith, always melodious. <laughs> I 
that's the caption. That's our quote. The, the Beatles, tuneful songs. <laughs> but I thought what, it's classic. what was a good uh, example of the evasion is um, on the first page in the last column, how do you react to today's left-wing pop hacks? The House Martins, the Style Council, Billy Bragg, who can't wait to get you out of number 10. So he's just Tom's straight in there, not pulling any punches. And so can't they? Ha, ha, ha. Well, I remember when I went down to Limehouse Studios and immediately she just turns it around into to something yeah. else. And there's then, there's, there's then he just goes straight to it. When are you going to night, Cliff Richard? Yes. Just, <laughs> there's no build-up. Cliff Richard has done wonders. It was he, and she just sort of talks nonsense, really. I remember him coming back and just the whole office, you know, for one sort of stopping, saying, how'd it go? You know, what was she like? Because it was such a, it was such a moment and Hibbs would just give that sort of grin and say nothing and <laughs> light up a cigarette and start typing, you know, and three hours later you had it. It was amazing. What was uh, Tom like to manage, Barry? <laughs> Well, um, I mean, Tom Tom had been brought into the magazine, I think, with Mark Ellen. He was a close friend of Mark's. He was older, but he seemed older. I mean, I, I think he was older, but he certainly seemed older. And he was, you didn't really manage him, is the honest answer to that. You sort of let him be um, because he kept peculiar hours. I mean, my, my abiding memory is of him sitting, smoke, chain smoking bashing away on the old typewriter and just he had he, he lived in his own world you know and very much that world that comes into smash hits with the strange expressions and phrases and he would always do the coming up next week page which was the most surreal page in the magazine and you, <laughs> you sort of let it let him go go with that because you know it wasn't that important but you know he was an extraordinary character um and, you know, sadly died some years ago and, you know, we were all at the funeral, which unfortunately has become, you know, as one gets older, you start doing this, you go to the funerals of people you used to work with. But I think everyone who was on it would have said he was the the kind of guiding spirit of Smash Hits for, for that entire period, really. Mm. Um, and I just, I, I've never actually managed or worked with anyone quite like him. You know, and I mean that in a kind of, Good and bad way, but but the, but overwhelmingly good. Yeah, it feels like a real one-off, uh, you know, a complete sort of maverick, and uh, but just such an energy and a spirit to him. And you know, really, it feels when you when you read the like smash hits from around this period, a large part of his personality is stamped onto the magazine in terms of the vocabulary and the humour, and just that what you were saying before about that kind of sense of of fun with it as kind of taking it seriously, but taking the piss as well at the same time. Yeah, he brought a lot of that. And he was incredibly kind of kind to me because, you know, I, I mean, he would have had no ambition to be editor, you know, uh, but he was technically the most senior person. He'd been on it the longest and he was the oldest. And I mean, I'm sure that he more than anyone would have thought, who is this guy, you know, <laughs> when I arrived? And, but actually we did strike up something of a bond and... um Maybe because I just, I suppose, let him be. I mean, I think the worst thing to do with Tom would have been to have said, okay, you know, we start at 9.30 and uh, you've got one hour for lunch and, you know, <laughs> Tom would drift off to a, a nearby hostelry quite often, you know. And I just took the attitude of the stuff he's producing is sensationally good. I don't really care how he does that. Yeah. Um, and for a just period at least, yeah. We just let give him his head, and it was fantastic. And yeah. of course, he took all of that onto Q. So he started the Who the Hell column on Q. So every month on Q, they would do Who the Hell does whoever think he is, uh, and that was Tom. I mean, for the first, I don't know, the first sixty or seventy Qs, probably it was all Tom, and it was exactly that type of writing, and that it it it, it, it became a little bit less comic book, you know, because mm. it was, it was, the was a monthly and it was kind of slightly older and more grown up, but it had that same worldview of, you know, this is a funny old world and who's this strange character and, oh, look, you know, we, we appear to have John Bon Jovi with us today, listeners, and it just, it just, it, it worked even better, I think, than Q. We missed them on Smash Hits, obviously, but a lot of people, you know, by this time, a lot of people who'd been in Smash Hits, Mark, Tom, 
were moving across the queue, uh, which then went through the purple patch of its own in the mm. probably the late eighties, early nineties. And another thing from this Margaret Thatcher piece, and Barry touched on it earlier, was that sort of lack of awareness, really, on Margaret Thatcher's part about popular culture. And obviously someone had said to her, this is important, you know, you should really have an interview with this magazine. But, for example, when they're talking about Live Aid, (laughs) she doesn't actually mention any of the bands that have played. Tom asks her, how did you feel about Live Aid? She says, I thought it was marvellous. I watched some of it on the Wembley thing and it was absolutely terrific. It was the first time we'd been able to get a great body of young people, not merely interested in something, but actually doing something for it and loving doing it. And I thought it was absolutely terrific. And I watched some of that and one group after another came and they did a marvellous job. And you're like, she doesn't know anyone that was on it at all, you know. She doesn't even like mention, you know, you 2 or, uh, you know, any of the sort of the big names that are on it. Um, I wonder whether she saw any of it at all. But she's obviously not being sort of prepped for it, has she, in that way? And, and all the cultural references are, are very old. And Hibbs asks her this, you know, quite telling question, what would you say are the worst problems facing young people today? AIDS, unemployment. And her answer is, you always wonder what's going to happen to you in the future. I can remember as a teenager, some young marrieds I knew. They knew who they'd <laughs> married. They knew what their training was going to be. It's a tremendous uncertainty and both a problem. It's just, it's just sort of gibberish and... Um, you do you do as I say just by leaving it he never says at any point hang on a minute you know you clearly don't know what I'm talking about by just saying and that's very smash hits by saying here we are come with us listeners into the hallowed portals of number 10 here we're going to meet this woman called Margaret Thatcher and off you go and you just let her to some extent hoist herself by her own petard yeah uh, without ever commenting and saying she's clearly a bit nuts in here you know um, is only doing this because some youngster in the department has told her to. We'd never say that. Uh, and some people will read it or <coughs> would have read it at the time and thought, that's interesting, it's the Prime Minister. And, and a lot of people would have read it and thought, wow, that's telling in its own way. But I was interested to know, mm-hmm. did you have to send this piece back to the, the press no. office at number 10 for it to be checked? No, I mean, the whole thing, looking back on it, was so kind of loose. You know, as I say, I wrote to the press officer. I would have got that name from somebody. And he wrote back on a sort of formal head of paper saying the Prime Minister would be delighted to to grant an interview with Smash Edge magazine, you know. And that was as far as it went. We, I presume I must have rung at some point and said, it's going to be Tom Hibbert and Paul Ryder doing the picks. Paul is another great old friend and kind of the pretty much the staff photographer in those days. And my memory, I mean, it's a long time ago, but my memory is they came back, Tom wrote it up, Paul did the pictures, we ran the piece, never heard from them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's so uncontrolled and unlike, I mean, I know enough from still being in the game to some extent to, you know, how that doesn't happen now. Yeah. Uh, you know, you couldn't get an interview with it with anybody with an MP without going through various hopes. Never mind the Prime Minister, where you just sent, sent the photographer and the writer. They wrote it up, and we printed it. End of. We travelled back in our giddy carousel of pop time machine next to December 1984, where we found a strawberry switchblade cover and lurking there. Looking through the pages with Patricia Callisgan, author, journalist, pop kid and Duran fan. And she shared with us her rather unique interpretation of a Cool and the Gang video. We get to our uh, next uh, set of lyrics and it's Fresh by Cool and the Gang. So the video is amazing because it's like a futuristic version of the Cinderella story. But there's all kinds of strange things in there, like there's, the ugly sisters are eating burgers wrapped with barbed wire. Instead of a fairy godmother is Marilyn Monroe with a hand grenade <laughs> that causes uh, the Cinderella character to stop scrubbing the space between chrome pyramids. I mean, I don't really know why, I did uh, why like she was Marilyn. doing that. I did like that. Yeah, that it's was a nice visual, it worked. <laughs> then she comes down the steps like in a ball gown and then that gets whipped off her and she's got basically a glittery leotard on that's 
showing all the bits off, really. Well, she's gone to the ball and, and cool the gang of the band because up until that time, they're, they're in what seemed like very separate locations. And I did wonder for a few minutes if um, the whole Cinderella thing had been shot for another <laughs> video entirely. And then it's like, you know, whoever, you know, the, the cars or Rod Stewart changed the mind and, uh, and he's like, oh, we'll give it to cool the gang. But it's, yeah, the song has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas, but the video is like a disco panto. Yes, disco panto indeed. I've never seen the video before. And, yeah, when you think about Fresh and then there's this woman scrubbing a floor, I literally was thinking, is this used in advertising at all? Because this is what I'm getting. I'm getting, this is like the new GIF of 1984. (laughs) And there's a bit of sex trafficking going on. I didn't get Cinderella at all at first. I was thinking, why is there a woman scrubbing floors while they sing Fresh? So I'm getting a bit of a kind of shaken vac going on. <laughs> and then the next thing, Cool and the gang are in their Christmas jammies, jumping around. <laughs> and then she's in a cosy and she's just giving it loads to Cool, presumably, in a cosy. <laughs> and then he, he knocks up loads of transgender community people and abuses oh, them yeah. with his mates. <laughs> And then he finally he finally gets to the, the, the woman that was cleaning. He finally gets to her house and she's been de-Cinderella'd and looks a wreck. And he proposes marriage and whisks her off in some kind of egg. <laughs> you summed it up perfectly I, there. That's it, yeah. Honestly, I, I just, I, I don't, part of me loves it though. Because <laughs> you put that to that groove and I'm in. Cinders doesn't get much time at the ball, though, does she? There's there's lots of setup, mm. and there's lots of going around with the silver stiletto looking for the uh, person with the right size foot to fit in there. But her time at the ball is very very limited, and that's probably why that's probably why she's doing those crazy frantic moves down the front. See, well. this is where you, you're thinking too much Cinderella because if you look at the sex trafficked vibe, what actually happened is when she turns up and she strips off to her cosy. I mean, considering, you know, Cinderella is an innocent and this woman has got moves that you don't learn coming from, you know, an orphanage, hopefully, (laughs) unless you really have to. So she's got the moves. And then what she does is she kind of, you know, she honey traps him. She shows him the moves. She disappears off and he goes chasing after her and proposes to her when she's, uh, you know, back at the flat watching Big Brother or whatever with her makeup off. Trafficked. (laughs) <laughs> like it when that you know you were talking about Patricia going around the houses with the looking for the owner of the shoe. There's some great acting going on there, isn't there, by the boys in the band? Oh yeah, Real and panto that acting. silver stiletto is just outrageous. The silver stiletto just tells you all you need to know about what you're dealing with. Cool has paid for the services of this woman. I mean, a stiletto is like a cry for help anyway on most women, and if you make that stiletto silver then come on, we know what that means. And it doesn't mean Cinderella time, does it? It doesn't say pantomime. There's no pantomime going on with a silver stiletto. It's no. hardcore. It's all pants, no panto. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like cool and the gangbang. That should be in brackets. Because, you know, at age eight, I mightn't have picked up on that, but now it's it's... It's very disturbing, but it's very telling. You see, I thought it was much more innocent than that, but now I've read it through uh, your eyes. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no yeah. innocent woman dances like that for 30 seconds no, and then jumps true. a cab. That is come true. on. Come on. Now, two cornerstones of Smash It's and something that we always enjoy revisiting are RSVP and the singles reviews, which is exactly what we did when pop kid Tim Robinson from DJ and production duo Night Dubbing joined us to look at the hits of November 1985. And then we come to the, uh, the, the one of the little um, proper little time capsules within the magazine here. Um, RSVP. So it's where basically you're asking for pen pals. And it was when I was reading this, you know, looking down, people's full addresses are printed. Yeah. James Turner, 6 Serpison Road, Newton Heath, Manchester. I could go around and visit. He's a little, he lives around the road, see if, see if he's in. How's it going, James? He's still liking you, Thomas Dolby. How did you know that? Imagine. You'd freak him out, wouldn't it? He wants to... Uh, this is me as well. He's, he thinks he's a cut above, right? He goes, uh, I'm a Thomas Dolby fan who also likes OMD, Japan, Sir Philip Collins. Good lad. Uh, 
Art of noise and propaganda. I hate Duran Duran, Wham, and any other teeny bopper rubbish. Any girls 15 to 17 would like to James Turner. Good luck with that, James. Oh, my goodness. That's great. Uh, Gavin, anybody that uh, you want to write to there? Yeah, there's a couple of really funny ones. I really like it. There's a lad. um, My name's David. I'm 14 year old, and as a hobby, I run a disco. Which, uh, well, that's a DJ then, isn't it, really? But, but um, yeah. I'm into all music. And I, what I like is it's not put Howard Jones, it's put H. Jones and G. Newman. <laughs> well, did <laughs> you have dollar. to pay for the word count, maybe? I don't that's know. That's what I'm thinking. I thought it was free. Uh, but yeah. may, maybe you had to pay per word count, and that's why he's done it. Um, the one I really like, this one made me laugh as well, is um, Miriam, 15-year-old girl. Um, where's, where's she gone? Here we are. Yeah, help. I'm a 15-year-old German girl. And I, I don't know what the story is behind this. It says, and every day I'm locked up in a school with loads of Americans. I mean, what's going on there? <laughs> Any people into black clothes, strange haircuts, Gary Newman, The Cure, Depeche Mode, Anne Clark, Susie and The Damned, write to me and save me from all these Bruce Springsteen lookalikes. Miriam in West Germany. Poor Miriam. I'd write oh, to her like, in a heartbeat. She sounds great. Yeah, she sounds great. So all the people that are 12 or 13 years old, maybe 16 or something like that, and looking for people to write to of a similar age. But then you get uh, Sue Bowen, who lives at uh, 12 Clay Drive in Quinton, Birmingham. I would like to get in touch with any John Fox fans anywhere. Please let me know that I'm not his only fan. I'm I'm 23. (laughs) Whoa. I'm 23, and I'm also into Billy Idol, Paul Young, and Dead or Alive. I like John Fox. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so I'm down with you, Supo, and you're cool. I'm all right with that. Now, this is a a section of Smash It's that I think we can all agree on between us here that um, this is possibly one of the, the sections that we turn to first. Yeah. Whether it landed on your doormat, whether you nipped down to the news agents to pick it up, however, however you got your smash hits. And it's the uh, singles reviews in this edition, uh, reviewed by Tom Hibbert, which means that uh, there's some rather outlandish reviews, basically just ignoring the songs because they're rubbish <laughs> <laughs> and going off on one of his flights of fancy. Uh, 14 singles in all, including Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, Midure, Top of Hedden, Dan Hartman, Captain Sensible, The Art of Noise, Simonics, Artists United Against Apartheid and Latin Quarter. So we'll pick out a few of these and uh, let's start with Dex's Midnight Runners. Uh, this is what she's like. And and it's hard to, to kind of decide whether um, Tom Hibbert's in, in favour of this or not. Yeah, it's a funny review, isn't it? I mean, it, it's very entertaining anyway. But um, yeah, I, I don't think he's quite sure whether he likes it or not. You know, he just says at the end he's made a ludicrous pop disc. And I'm not sure whether in Tom Hibbert's world that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'd have thought a good thing in Planet Hibbert, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, but he, he calls it a half-baked Irish show band with a doddery old fiddle player, you know. I'm not sure. I would have I would have absolutely hated that record at the time. I wouldn't have... I, I really like it now, but I would. That that's another grown-up... That's grown-up music as well. And I think that might be part of the problem they, they've got with Dex, is they've jumped a few leaps ahead, haven't they? And they've just gone not very poppy, having been a bit, you know... Bouncy and poptastic in the you know swinger swingerillions in the early days, but they're not uh, swingerillion anymore, are they? They've all gone very serious. Uh, now Phyllis Nelson, uh, she had a, a big number one with Move Closer. Uh, and then she follows it up with a song called I Like You. Now I was listening to this before I read, read the review. <laughs> I'm listening to it thinking, Move Closer, it's it's, it's essential lovers ballad sort of thing. And it's quite, you know, quite passionate, quite intense. And she follows it up with a song called I Like You. <laughs> and that's that's something I, that uh, Hibbert picks up in, in his review. I like you, not I love you, or even I like you an awful lot. just I like you. There's a little sign of passion in the song. <laughs> it's no move closer, is it? It's pretty forgettable, this one as well. Poor old Phyllis. I'm wondering if it's kind of like uh, this song is... Um sort of a sequel to Move Closer and then she got cold feet and so the guy moved closer and then she was like, oh, I'm not I'm not really into this. And then it's like, oh, I like you. You know, it's... <laughs> and the next one after this was probably called It's Not You, It's Me. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be the three singles. Um, proper smash its territory with the next one then. Uh, there can't have been a fortnight gone by 
since this band appeared on the scene in 1982 that, that they weren't mentioned in Smash Hits. And I'm surprised that this didn't get single of the week. It is, of course, Wham! and uh, I'm Your Man, uh, which, you know, my, my sister, she, she was a Wham! fan at the time, so I had no choice but to listen to them. I didn't mind this one, quite enjoyed this one. Although listening to it now it does strike me very much as Freedom Part 2. It's got that Motown kind mm. of... Uh, thing going on. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I, I wouldn't have liked it at all. I didn't, I didn't like Wham. You know, I was like Tim was saying earlier, kind of more into the what I thought was the more serious grown-up music, like the Cult and you know the Mission and uh, <laughs> the Alarm and Big Country. But uh, oh, you know, yeah, yeah it's, it, it is a good single, right? Yeah, I don't think it's anywhere near their best. It's um, I've you know the early the early few singles are the best ones, I think, and those top of the pops performances um, when you wash them back. George Michael's just got it absolutely nailed down. Every every dance move and every sort of thing, the way they move, the way they look, he's he's really, really. He's just see what a clever guy he was and how he's really thought every little bit of it through. But yeah, I remember this being such a big deal at the time. Because is this the very last single? It was. Uh, I think it was next to last. The Edge of Heaven was the last single, and I think. Uh... Oh yeah, and they were, they'd got that big Wembley gig lined up pretty soon, hadn't they? Where they were going to brace basically. You know, call it a day, and yeah, I just remember this being like a massive big deal at the time. Yeah, um, the video for this was uh, filmed at the Old Marquee Club down in that there London, and um, quite a few of these songs recorded off Top of the Pops at the time. I remember my sister being very uh, entertained by George Michael's tambourine skills because he's, you know, he's, he's given it some quite heavy action into his crotch mm. uh, in the video. But when I've looked back and tried to uh, watch this video on YouTube. That's not in there, so I don't know if it's been censored or you know mm-hmm. re-edited or you know just just mm-hmm. kind of like you know gently swept under the carpet or not. So I'm going to have to dig out my old VHS tapes <laughs> when you see the tambo crotch, yeah, smashing it into his crotch. There, Tom Hibbert's very much in in favour of this one. Yeah, and he says a dignified hit. G. Michael is a proper star. Not entirely sure what Andrew does on this, but no doubt he does it very well too. It's very diplomatic, isn't it? We, Andrew does fuck all on this record. He's still like it like all the others. Um, now, the Pet Shop Boys yes. making... I would guess this is... Because this is their second single proper mm. after Opportunities. So I'm guessing Opportunities made an appearance in, in Smash It's. Uh, but this is the one that took them all the way to the top of most of the pop most. I went out and bought this single, West End Girls. Still absolutely amazing record. Uh, your thoughts, gentlemen? Absolutely agree with you. I, I mean, I'm not um, I'm not one of these people that sort of avidly follows the shoppies. Um, I haven't really kind of followed their uh, career beyond the first couple of albums. But yeah, this one, this record still, re- you know, it's one of those where it gets the hairs on your back of your neck go up. Um, it's a it's a stunning, stunning record. Just the the production, the moody, the, the really moody sound of the synths and everything. Um, and I remember just being struck by how weird his voice sounded. He's got that really clipped kind of English. Um, mm. Sometimes, you know, that really like sort of like slightly camp, but very, very sort of, you know, well, well-spoken voice over the top. It's just, just brilliant. Um, yeah, and it's aged it's aged very well, I think, as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely cracking single. That should have been yeah. single of the week, but I, maybe they didn't want to be too nepotistic towards their uh, their own staff member. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, this is it. They're, they're on their way now, aren't they, to, to uh, definitely... Definitely right in the middle of the giddy carousel of pop right now already, aren't they? So, yeah, yeah, it's what you're saying there, Tim, about how, how well it's aged. It really has. It still sounds great. And it's it's still really that image of the Pet Shop Boys is the one that still sticks in people's head, isn't it, from that video and them just walking around disconsolately, you know, around a... I, I guess it was, set, it was set in London, wasn't it, I think, the video. Mm. Um, you know, the two of them moodily walking along. I was going to say, there's some great um, parodies of... The video as well with um, Flight of the Concords, you, yeah. you know, the Flight of the Concords one. And I think Raw Sex <laughs> did a great Pet Shop Boys yeah. kind of uh, parody as well that you can find on YouTube. Um, but, yeah, this is where they really kind of arrived fully formed, wasn't it? You know, and uh, this song was just... It was massive for a, a long time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my top 20 all time, actually, that song. Fantastic. Mm. We celebrated the 35th anniversary of Live Aid with a bumper edition of the Giddy Carousel of Pop when we heard from loads of people about their memories of that day, including former Smash It's editors and Live Aid TV presenters David Hepworth and Mark Ellen, BBC TV director David G. Croft, future hits editor Barry McElhenney, and a throng of pop kids, 
Here's a little taster. So there's just one thing we need to know. Where were you on the 13th of July, 1985? I definitely watched the whole Alive Aid, sat two inches away from the telly. My mum and my stepdad and my stepsister coming in and out and trying to prize me away from the telly and not really managing. I was in Wembley. I took a day off work. They didn't believe I was going. I had to show them the ticket. I must have been quite of a talker when I was a child because my dad sponsored me to be silent through the whole thing. Uh, we went to the Royal Tournament at Ells Court in West London. I was 18 and I was selling TVs and hi-fis and stereos and all kinds of things at British home stores in Romford in Essex. Went to a dog show at Malvern. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Saw Auntie Sandra and Uncle Jeff. I was there. Me and a school friend went. Uh, my mum and dad drove us down. They had a day in London. We went to the uh, concert. And next we were joined by another ex-Smash Hits writer when former deputy editor from the late 90s and early noughties took us back to her days as a reader in March 1988. It's Hannah Verdier, freelance pop culture writer and contributor to The Guardian, who berates us for some of our musical tastes. Got the lyrics for um, Love Changes Everything, Climby Fisher. Cav's um, <laughs> pulling a face at that one. It's the picture of, is that Climby or Fisher? I don't know, the, uh, the one on the right. I think, yeah, Simon Climber was the singer, wasn't he? Rob, yeah. Rob Fisher. Yeah, he's on the right. It's halfway between uh, young Elvis and Brian Ferry in that picture, I think, isn't he? It's, but he's been on a, a sunbed as well. Yeah. A bit Judith Chalmers. <laughs> that is a banger of a song, though. Are, are you not in agreement about this? I think you can predict my answer. Oh, <laughs> no, come on. No. What is wrong with you two? <laughs> Put it on. I recorded this one from Top of the Pops, so I, I, right. I did did like it at the time. It's one of the stronger pop songs from the era, I would oh, say. Faint praise. Yeah, faint praise. When you, right, when you make a mixtape for someone now, yeah. do you put it on? Oh, God, no. What? <laughs> Let me tell you, the ladies are going to dig it if you do. <laughs> Not the ladies I know. <laughs> uh, and then we get a personal file of Sunita, uh, which is, oh, this is quite a piece as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hannah, any particular bits stand out for oh, you from, from this? What doesn't stand out? Oh, my gosh, out? what doesn't? <laughs> she. <laughs> so my favourite bit is when they ask if her and a twin are identical and she says, are we identical? Not now. I think we'd have to work at it. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Um, and they also ask the important question, why do you never wear very many clothes? Because <laughs> she's little. Are you really in love with Whitney? And the answer's kind of yes. And she reveals that chief tea boy of pop, Rick Astley, makes horrible tea. <laughs> and when they ask her to write a poem... Instead of just like, no, she comes She comes good and she writes a poem about bubbles. <laughs> Michael Jackson's monkey. I thought that was very impressive. She it came up with that off the top of her head. That was very good. Do you think Pete Waterman was in the background, like prompting her? <laughs> what, I'm just bubbles. <laughs> Talk about his monkeyness. Would you care to uh, read that poem out to us? Oh, sorry. Grandma here's just getting her glasses on. <laughs> so they... Say, can you think of a poem about bubbles? Now, if someone said that to me, and I always think about this when I'm asking a question, no would be the answer. <laughs> but she says, oh, I'd quite like to be bubbles for a day, actually. Let's think. Oh, God, how about, I wish I was Michael Jackson's bubbles, so I'd get into lots of trouble. He could introduce me to Whitney. Wait a minute. I'm never going to find anything to rhyme with Whitney, am I? Can you finish it? Oh, I know. He can introduce me to Whitney and then leave. And then she bursts into hysterics. <laughs> what, what a pop poet she is, though. I mean, this, is, this doesn't come as a surprise to me because she, uh, she did Toy Boy, she did Big Red GTO. So I think she's got the credentials, but she just brings it on the day. I love it. Well, I can't decide whether she's got low self-esteem or, or whether she's some sort of sociopath. 
Really? Because when, when it asks about a first crush, it says, oh dear, unfortunately, all my first crushes were on girls who I had as heroes because I was a wannabe person. I'd always want to be just like someone. And then she names people. And she and she mentions Whitney Houston. Yes, I am in love with her. It's going on like that. And I think, you know, you've got to be think, worried for your own personal safety if Sunita takes an interest <laughs> in you. <laughs> I think Gary Christian must be very worried. Yeah. He gets a few mentions. Yeah, so I'm getting a bit of a single white female vibe from this, to be honest. It says, uh, one of the questions asked is, have you ever had a pillow fight on the roof of a cottage? and uh, she starts talking about Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush and whether Kate Bush is pregnant with Peter Gabriel and then she says, anyway, I'd like to have a pillow fight with Gary Christian though I don't think he likes me because I've been harassing him I went off Whitney for him it sounds a bit threatening, doesn't it? Very yeah. threatening, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, she's she's one confident woman though i mean we yeah. already know she is by the way she only wears palm leaves these days but um <laughs> to actually come out with with all that it's it's very modern although i think there's obviously some sense of self-awareness because at the end she says uh, that was the craziest interview i've ever done i'm a bit worried <laughs> about how this one's going to turn out <laughs> <laughs> so is Gary Christian, I think. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. And she likes Prince, but she doesn't think she'd get on with him. Do me a favour, of course she would. She definitely would, yeah. Like, is she small? Yeah. He's small. Match made in heaven there, I think. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and that just about wraps things up. A big thanks to all the guests we've had so far on the carousel, and we look forward to welcoming many more. So there's lots of ways you can find us and follow along in all the fun. We've got Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for Giddy Pop Pod. Do follow us, get in touch and say hello. We love hearing from you. We've also got a website, giddypoppod.home.blog. And there you'll find all the links to our past episodes, the playlists, as well as scans of all the magazines we're looking at. And don't forget, you can help support us by buying us a coffee ko-fi.com slash giddypoppod or coffee.com slash giddypoppod but you must put in that it's spelt with a k and it's an o and it's a hyphen and an fi but gav what's your favorite coffee my favorite coffee is ko-fi.com forward slash giddypoppod <laughs> that's my favorite kind of coffee what about you, Si? What? I'm more of a green tea. What? Oh, you're a green tea man. I'm more of a green tea Oof. person myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love a freshly ground giddy pop pod. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the summer, what's left of it. Stay safe, and we hope you can join us next time on the Giddy Carousel of Pop. Bye! Bye! Bye.